Hey, welcome to Hindsight, the podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey of exploration with you. We often find ourselves reflecting on the choices we've made and wondering how our lives might have unfolded differently if we had taken a different path. Here's the beauty of hindsight. It gives us a chance to gain wisdom and learn from our past decisions. Look, this podcast is a platform to dig deep into those pivotal moments and uncover the invaluable lessons hidden within. <laughs> Look, I'm Lee Jones, your host, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on board. So let's dive right in and explore the fascinating realm of decisions on Hindsight the Podcast. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, we make mistakes we're learning from the in hindsight. Yesterday and your tomorrow in hindsight is so much clearer now. This is Hindsight the Podcast, and introducing your host, Lee Jones. I'm super excited. Today I have Robin Phoenix Johnson, and she's a dynamic leader and an advocate for positive change. And after a distinguished military career spanning over 20 years, Lieutenant Colonel Robin Johnson found her new calling in spreading joy and healing through humor. As the president of Hilarious and a level three certified humor professional, Robin combines her passion for comedy with her dedication to improving lives. And Robin's impact goes beyond the stage as she serves as a comedy boot camp instructor for the Armed Service Arts Partnership and volunteers at the Charleston VA Hospital, bringing laughter and positivity to those in need. Her work as a nationally touring stand-up comedian, motivational speaker, and CEO for Best Medicine Brigade has garnered recognition, including being voted Best Charleston Comic in 2022. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning. What an intro. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't really even touch on your military stuff. And I'm going to tell you why, right? I'm going to do a lot of talking at the beginning because when I, I looked at another podcast you did, and I believe she was a friend of yours, I, I should have wrote her name down, but she started going down the list of things, Airborne, Air Assault, Pathfinder Badge, Three Bronze Stars, Five Deployments, right? And I was like, okay. So I went to the bathroom, shaved my head, shaved my beard off, right? And I'm sitting at attention right now. So if you see me, that's, that's why we're not on video. Uh, <laughs> I'm sitting at attention right now. You did the damn thing. And when I went in to boot, not, not even boot camp, but when I went through MEPS and I took my test, they said, hey, Lee, uh, you're qualified for Airborne. And I said, well, who, who who qualified me? Because I didn't check that box. I am not doing airborne. And I commend you. You went out there and that was, I think you said that was something that you really wanted to go in and do, right? So, Robin, I'm just going to jump right into it. This is uh, Hindsight, the podcast. I'm just curious, what, what made you choose the Army as a career? Uh, the recruiter had the coolest uniform at my high school career fair. Oh, I know no. that's right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, you know, there it's a, it's a longer story, but I guess the short of it is I grew up in rural Ohio. There was, there wasn't a lot of options. My mom had me very involved in oratorical contests, uh, particularly the God flag and country one with the American Legion. And so I got to hear a lot of veteran stories and kind of be in an environment where that I was around a lot of veterans. And so it made me curious about the military and a recruiter showed up to the school one day and I was like, that sounds 
like pretty interesting. I think I could, you know, do that. That sounds, that's, I don't know. It sounds like a good challenge. And then my mom was like, you'll never make it. I double dog dare you. And I was like, watch me. <laughs> Initially, you were looking to go into the Marines. Now, my brother was a Marine <laughs> and I never, ever, ever considered the Marine. And it's it just, I don't know. It just seems crazy. Um, but I give him mad respect. Right. So tell us a little bit about if you, if you want to, right. I'm doing hindsight and, and digging a little deep about your uh, wanting to go into Marines. Yeah. Well, it was really my boyfriend, my high school boyfriend that wanted to be a Marine. And we were on our way back from a date and we had wanted to join the Marine Corps together. Like that was something that um, we both had discussed doing. But on the way back home from a date, uh, we were in a really, really bad car accident and he broke his neck um, and was disqualified mm. from service. I mean, he survived. He's you know happily married, has kids, and we're still friends to this day. Um, but he was no longer able to um, serve. And um, I just didn't feel, I still wanted to serve, but I didn't feel like I could go into the Marine Corps without him. That that would be disloyal, I guess, if you will. Okay. okay. So I decided to find my own path and serve in the Army. The other thing, too, is I was in the Army National Guard initially. I enlisted. You know, I, was a, I was a little E2. Uh, <laughs> came in as an E2. Uh, so I, yeah, it was only supposed to be like a part-time thing. And then once I went to basic training and I came home and was serving in my guard unit, I knew I wanted to go active duty and I was prepared to go active duty right away. I wanted to like basically forget college, just go into the army. But I had some mentors in my life that said, look, you get a hundred percent tuition through the national guard. You're going to go to college and why don't you just do ROTC and become an officer that way and then go active duty. And I listened to them and that's what, that was the past. Not going active duty for several years after that. Right. Uh, okay. How, how many, how many years did you do? So you did 20 years active duty or some of that was the national guard time as well. I did 26 years total and over 20, like 20 and nine months was active. For our army and military audience listeners right now, I couldn't talk. Well, I could talk to you, but it had to be work related when we were in the military because it would be fraternization. So it's amazing talk to talk to you now. And I'm stuttering my words a little bit because I tell you, I'm still st sitting at attention, but what I used to like about officers were the officers who were enlisted first. How was it transitioning from enlisted to an officer for you? I think it, was, it wasn't that hard. Um, I think I've always been a leader, whether I was wearing a uniform or not. Even, you know, I'm the oldest of four children. Um, I was captain of the high school track team. I was very, um, you know, I was a student council president. Like I, I did a lot of leadership things. Mm -hmm. I've always felt naturally like my destiny was to lead. Some people call it bossy, but I don't like that because I feel like that's unfair to call women bossy and men good leaders. I've always had an aptitude for it. So I didn't feel like it was a big stretch. I think what it is though, it's not just like becoming an officer, mm -hmm. it's maturing. I don't, 
care what you do, that age from like 17 to 22 is a really developmental time as a young adult, period. You know, like you have to learn that it's not just about you. You have to be able to influence others to achieve a common mission. And there's just some growth you have to do personally. Uh, and I guess the big, yeah, the best thing I would say is maturity, um, not being so reactionary or emotional or dramatic. You have to be level-headed and calm and uh, deliberate and right. thoughtful about the second and third order effects of things. So that's more, I'd say, the growth versus the enlisted versus the officer. It's just more me growing up. Right. And it's not a, you know, maybe I missed, didn't really convey the question as I wanted to. It's not a versus. It's just a difference. And, and it's because of the purpose, the purpose of the roles, right? The purpose of the leadership. So I definitely appreciate uh, you explaining your experience and your leadership uh, going into the thing as well. Lee, I also would say like what, what the hardest part about being an off coming out of enlisted to officer was I still wanted to do enlisted things. Yeah. I still wanted to dig foxholes. I still wanted to be out there getting dirty. And sometimes my NCOs would be like, ma'am, like you need to go over there and like not be there doing you go. Them. Um, and I would be like, but, but why? Like I want to do it with them. And then there, there's others philosophies and thought uh, that you should be there with your soldiers and doing stuff and to, trying to figure out the right balance of that is tough. Like how much are you involved in around them and how much do you let them do it and you supervise and lead? So yeah, that was, that was, that, that took me quite a few years to figure out. Honestly, I don't think I figured that out until I was a senior captain um, because I still always wanted to be in the dirt. Right. Well, how were you as a leader? In the military, were you were you funny? Were you fun? Were you strict? Were you, you said you weren't bossy? Like how how was your <laughs> leadership style? You know, and I know there's a, a growth because you you got to go from lieutenant to lieutenant colonel. But how were you core in your core as a leader? This is such a deep question because yeah. oh my gosh, for the longest time I felt like I couldn't be my true self. Um, I felt like I had to be this persona of what officership or being an officer was. I suppressed a lot of my humor. Um, I suppressed a lot of just who the, the real Robin was. And I became whatever I was supposed to be for that situation in that organization. Um, my husband always says, don't be the leader that you are, be the leader that your organization needs you to be. And mm -hmm. each organization I served in needed a different version of me because of whatever reason whether it was the people around me and I was balancing out personalities or the role that I had. Um, it just really depended. It also evolved and changed as I got older and more senior and had more experience. Um, you know, the five deployments, obviously each one of those brings its own wealth of knowledge and experience. But then even after I had kids, I was a different leader and I'd argue a better leader. I was a little bit of a hard ass um, before a lot more intense before I had kids and ki I wish I would have had kids earlier because they chilled me out. <laughs> they, they had, I mean, it completely changed my outlook of life and I was much more empathetic to my soldiers that had families. I think I thought I understood what it meant when I was um, you know, pre-kids, but mm -hmm. then once you have your own, you're like, oh, wow. This is really, really hard. Like I remember being extra hard on my females that were pregnant and they were like wanting to wear tennis shoes and I completely judged them. I'm like, 
it can't, it's not that hard. Suck it up. You know, like, why are you wearing tennis shoes? And then I got pregnant. I was like, my feet are so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I want to go back and apologize to every soldier that I ever gave a hard time for going on a tennis shoe profile. That's a good, that's a good hindsight right there. Great lesson. Can I ask you a question off topic? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Are we playing truth or dearly? (laughs) It's not truth or dare, but what, why is Phoenix in quotations? Robin Phoenix Johnson. Yeah, you know, I, I'm probably, I don't even have a good answer for that other than um, it's just a nickname. Like my name is Robin Angela Johnson. I go by Robin Phoenix as a stage name in comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, my like nickname is Phoenix, just like as a call sign or just as like a joke it's not really something like my husband doesn't call me phoenix he calls me robin <laughs> um but it's just a i love i love phoenix because i feel like i rose from the ashes and it's a re it signifies a rebirth and when i left the military i reinvented myself i went back and discovered who i was outside of the uniform and that process was hard it was really um painful in some ways so to go through that, it just felt very powerful. And I love the imagery and fieriness of the Phoenix. How has your military background influenced your approach to using humor as a tool for healing and empowerment? When we think about humor, it's different than comedy. Okay. So humor and comedy are two different definitions. Okay. Um, humor to me symbolizes strength of the mind, a resilient, mm-hmm. strong mind. You think about lifting weights, going to the gym, building muscle mass. When you use the thought processes and the cognitive um, uh, development for humor, it is the same as lifting weights for your brain. You're telling your brain to reframe negative thought patterns and to find the optimism in it. You're telling your brain to see this situation, this problem set with a different light and, um, and to poke fun and laugh at it thereby making you feel more confident in the outcomes, more in control of the situation. So it's really like an exercise for your mind. And that's what I wanted people to understand. And I really am disappointed because I wish all my officer evaluation reports would have been like, she's the funniest officer in the battalion or the brigade. That was never the case. Um, I am disappointed that it's not an attribute that is valued. I mean, it's not something like, oh, she's really witty. You know, do you know how much... intellect it takes to be witty and clever and to develop a joke structure or a series of jokes. It's not easy. And to be that creative and to do it is really a skill, but yet people think it's just whatever, you know, Oh, they're just joke. They're just goofing off. They're just being a goofball. That's actually very hard to do, but yet we don't value it in our military evaluation, you know, or talent assessment processes. And that was frustrating for me because, you know, like when I do stand up, people say, well, how is stand up similar to being in the military? Well, you're reading the room, you're assessing your environment, you're making on the spot adjustments based on the responses you're getting back from the audience. Um, you've got to have a lot of, um, you have to be articulate, you have to be able to communicate uh, an emotion and a feeling. At the end of the day, there's a, it's extreme, it could be terrifying for some people to go up there and try to be funny. Right. And and you get heckled, which you I mean it's like getting shot at, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So how was it, you know, you speak of you speak of being heckled. How was it the first time you you stepped on stage? 
Um, I was, I was a little bit nervous, but because I had done so much speaking in the military and my mom at such a young age put me in speaking competitions, uh, public speaking and being in front of audiences and crowds, that's one advantage that I had going into it. I don't think had I had that background, I would have been able to transition so quickly mm-hmm. from military service to comedy, but I already had performance experience. It had been a while. I was rusty. But I knew how to work a microphone. I knew how to move a stage. I, you know, I know how to speak to large group. I mean, you know, you brief the CG on your quarterly training brief. You present at rock drills. You know, how many, I mean, how many women's history month events have I spoken at? You know, it's just, so that part was hard, but being funny, delivering jokes mm-hmm. oh my gosh, and then remembering them, you know, you have to remember the order of your jokes in your head and not get distracted. Um, you don't want to seem too scripted. Right. So, yeah, um, but it was, it was fun. It was exciting. It was exhilarating. It was exciting and exhilarating. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How do you navigate the fine line between using comedy to address like sensitive topics and ensuring in- inclusiveness and respect for diverse audiences? Oh yeah. Cause you, you know, this cancel culture era, like you can't, <laughs> Yeah. It's like you can offend anybody. Um, you know, I avoid certain topics. I avoid race, religion, politics. Uh, I'd really try to not do anything around those topics just because they can be either really funny or they can just blow up in your face. Mm-hmm. And I just I just tell the truth. I tell real stories that people find relatable and put a funny twist on it. And you can't really go wrong with that because everybody knows they're relating. Right. Like they know they're like, yep, yep. <laughs> you, you talk about, you're talking about TSA or going through the airport and like the funny things or frustrating things that happen. And almost everybody that's a shared experience or, or narrative that people understand. Speaking of TSA and, and going through the airport, you've been doing a lot of traveling. How, how is the comedy tour going? And and you know what? I shouldn't go like, and how's the comedy tour going? Let's talk <laughs> about the comedy tour. <laughs> Let's talk about it first. And then uh, I know your travel's been hectic. I've been watching you on Instagram. But how how is it going? What is it and how is it going? Are you stalking me on Instagram? <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Uh, you know what? I'm on, so it's, t- you know, this three tours, tours plural. So I'm on the Southern Mama and Friends tour with headliner Darren Knight. Uh, there's also Red Squirrel and Gary Cargill. So there's four of us on tour together. And those shows are amazing because they're like 2,000 people, right? Anywhere from 700 to 2,500 people in a venue. Wow. Um, we just did two shows and they were sold out, 770 people each show. Mm-hmm. Then we have the Glitter and Grit Tour, which is really fun. That's myself, Red Squirrel, and Ashley Gutermuth. And uh, we are all three military spouses. Uh, obviously, I'm a veteran too, but um, it's one of the... I think if not the only or the very first tour of three military spouses in a level clubs, meaning we're going to Zanies August. I don't know if you're going to time date, save this, but we're going to Zanies. We're going to be going to Huntsville to stand up live. So these are big rooms that, you know, pretty known comedians do. So we're excited to, to do that. And then I have operation hilarious, which is the tour that I'm producing. And um, yeah, so three between the three tours, plus all of my private events that I do, I have an exhausting schedule. It's I just came home last night and I leave again on Thursday. I'm Thursday. 
I'm gone like 20 days out of the month. Let's basically put it that way. How do you balance the demands of being, you know, on this, on these national, right? National tours, you're in the airport, uh, stand up comedian while also fulfilling your role as a motivational speaker, facilitator of hilarious. It looks like you're doing all of them at the same time. And then wife, uh, mom, how do you, how do you balance your time, your demands? Uh, I outsource things that I can. So I go. have a couple people on my team. I have a wonderful tour manager, Demi Chang, who's doing a lot of the administrative things. Um, Mark Hoover, he's my operations, like, I guess, essentially like an operations NCO. Um, Kathy, my, she's my finance person. And then I have Angela and Tara on the back end for other uh, PR, social media, and um, my travel arrangements. So, and then I, I, you know, throw money at the problem. I mean, at the end of the day, like there's only so many hours in the day. So I have a housekeeper that cleans my house because I don't have time to do that. My husband does a ton of the family stuff. He does a lot with the kids. For, he, he pulls more than his fair share around the house with cooking and grocery shopping. Um, he's very proud of my, um, my success. And so he's supportive in that way. And, um, I make use of the time when I can. So like um, when I'm traveling, I will do emails and be on my computer during the flight, during the layovers. I'm in the lounge, airport lounge, like on my, on my computer or phone working. And um, for like, just like, even like little things, like it sounds kind of bougie, but even like when I'm on the road, I'll, I'll have like my makeup and hair team come to the hotel and do my hair in my hotel room so that I can, be taking calls at the same time and multitasking. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of, a lot of multitasking. Well, you need a good team around you because like I said, in, in like, you know, you know, I, I just look at what you're doing. I'm like, Oh, she's in the airport again. And I see the lady doing your hair and, you know, I see you with the flight delays and this is like, wow. And now to even to know that you're doing, what is it? Four different tours. Do you say three or four? Well, three plus a whole bunch of private speaking gigs. Wow. But I love that. The private speaking gigs are probably my favorite. I got to be yeah. honest. I yeah. love going to speak because so Best Medicine Brigade, my for-profit company is a talent management company. I manage Ashley Gudermuth, Red Squirrel, and Mandatory Fun Day, if you follow any of them on social media. Mm -hmm. And then I produce comedy and do comedy as a comedian. That's all Best Medicine Brigade. But my nonprofit, Hilarious, H-E-A-L-A-R-I-O-U-S. Uh, we do motivational speaking and like seminars and workshops on the applied and therapeutic use of humor. So it's a, it's funny content, but it's not stand-up comedy. It's funny, it's a hybrid of comedy and motivational speaking about resilience, mental health, suicide prevention. That actually makes more of an impact and I enjoy it the most. Hilarious. Well, let's go. Let's talk about your role, your CEO of Best Medicine, uh, Best Medicine Brigade, right? right. What's your vision uh, for the future of using humor as a tool for positive change? And, and how do you plan to expand its impact? And it seems like you're doing a great job right now expanding it. But how do you see that future? It's been growing really fast. I launched yeah. in April of 2022. That's all. I mean, we've only been a year. We're only a year and a half old. Uh, and we just became a nonprofit. I mean, I was just doing it here locally and online. And then really it's only been seven months since we became a nonprofit official 501c3. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, we're scaling in a couple of ways. I'm getting ready to do a TEDx talk uh, for the VA. And when that comes out, and I think in September, that's going to be a big game changer. We're also working with a lot of government clients. I am getting to share about this and speak for all the, like a bunch of branches of service. I've spoken at the DOD level. Um, I just went to Fort Moore, which used to be Fort Benning. It's so hard for me to say Fort Moore and gave a train the trainer um, program there. So I'm getting requests, especially, unfortunately, as we see that the suicide rates are not going down. Unfortunately, I'm even more busy because I'm working so hard to to be a part of that solution. And it's like this innovative approach is something that really isn't being done a lot. We, there's so many ways to approach mental health and suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying with Hilarious is let's think outside the box. Let us help give people the tools and skills they need now before they actually need it to reframe negative thought patterns. Cause really all of that starts with a negative thought pattern and it just roots itself in your brain and you just become, it's like anything else. It becomes a bad habit. So giving them those skills early on really does help them to um, have this more optimistic cognitive um, restructuring and allows them to feel more control of their situation and more optimistic about the outcome, which there then reduces their um, likelihood to want to end it all or give up. So now we're just building um, volume of how we can um, implement this like worldwide to all installations all over the world and reach military and veterans all over the world. So we're looking for partners to do that. Right now we have Jack Daniels as our um, platinum sponsor and um, the American Legion. They have the Be The One campaign. Okay. So we've been working with them to help, but we're looking for like one more strategic partner to like really take it to the next level and really make a broader impact. Can you share a moment story or a success story uh, where you witnessed firsthand the profound impact of comedy and supporting veterans, mental health and well-being? So I know you're putting in the work and you're laying down the uh, laying down the foundation. Are there any success stories that you could share? There's so every week just about I get touched by like somebody reaching out to me. I, I was just at a conference last week and there was a female Marine that a year ago heard my presentation we ended up speaking afterwards and for a long time and she was suicidal at the time. She had a lot of survivor guilt. Um, she, her, she was a close friend of a Marine who, one of the Marines who was killed in Afghanistan as we were withdrawing. And she was really, really struggling. I mean, it was, she was at like the end of, you know, where I think she was contemplating suicide on a regular basis and then I saw her this past week and she came up and like gave me the biggest hug and was like, you have no idea how much that talk changed my life and just you listening to me and I just appreciate you. And she's doing great. She absolutely has done a complete 180. So that was one recently, you know, and I go into um, the Charleston VA hospital here locally and uh, I work with the, their um, in and out patient behavior health, behavior health uh, patients. And this guy, uh, one of the veterans, he's a uh, visually impaired veteran. He is real. He was really cranky. He had attempted suicide. Um, he had come out of the inpatient, but part of his inpatient, like post care, was he had to attend groups, and they get to pick which groups. I'm proud to brag that my group is the most popular because they don't feel like they're in group therapy. They get to have fun and 
it, our our group is really um, engaging and entertaining as well as ed- educational, like edutaining is what I like to say. Yeah. So, uh, but Melvin didn't want to really be there. He was kind of, uh, you know, kind of like grumpy old men type of guy. And um, so I was trying to get him to participate. And I said, well, you know, well, tell me, tell me what's the biggest challenge to your day-to-day life? You know, what's something hard that we can, we can workshop and make funny. He said, well, my wife gets on my nerves. He's like, I've been legally blind for six years. And she asked me today if I had seen her keys. Oh, And I was like, <laughs> okay. And he's like, well, I don't see what's so funny about that. And I was like, all right. right. I was like, all right. I was like, is there anything else that she does that annoys you? And he said, well, she asked me if I'd seen her glasses. And he's like, and sometimes she asked me like, well, we, she'll be driving. And she'll be like, are there any cars coming from that direction? And like, he's like, if I could tell if there's cars coming that direction, you wouldn't be driving, you know? <laughs> so I said, okay, Melvin, I said, you know, let's make a joke about this. Let's, let's take these frustrations and make something positive. I said, here's your joke. My name is Melvin. I have been blind for six years. Today, my wife asked me, have you seen my keys? No. Have you seen my glasses? No. Do I look fat in this dress? Yes. Actually, yes, you do. <laughs> So he got a chuckle out of it. And I think yeah. and by the end of the class, you could tell his spirits were a lot more lifted. And um, he's been coming um, to several sessions and his wife has reported back that he is so much easier to live with and that she loves that he comes to the group. So, Wow. Thank, that's, that's amazing. You're putting, definitely putting in the work and those are great success stories. And, you know, I'm glad that you, you have these stories, you said pretty regularly. Because it is important. Uh, like you said, the numbers aren't going down and there's a lot of trauma dealing with, you know, life in general. But the military really puts you in positions and situations that uh, intensify that trauma uh, sometimes potentially. So thank you for that work that you're putting in. And I know, you know, getting it from the from the ones who you're helping is really probably all the things that you need. Uh, but from an outside perspective, I just wanted to say thank you. So do you still do the, are you still an instructor for the comedy boot camp? I'm not right now, but I'm still on their roster. So I'm trained to do it. I'm mostly serving as a mentor. So I'll, I'll pop into classes from time to time virtually. Yeah. Um, But I'm not instructing actively at this session, um, but I'm always willing to do it. It just didn't line up with my schedule with all the tours and stuff. So I'm taking a little bit of a break, but anytime they need anything, I would do anything for ASAP. Armed Services Arts Partnership is phenomenal. Brian Jenkins is a great leader. They've done so many good things for our community. So whatever I can do to help them, I, I would gladly do it. What is one of the, or some, one of some uh, key lessons that you would teach veterans or help veterans uh, with to explore their comedic talents in finding healing through humor? Like what, what's some of the strategies that you would work through with them? Well, if they want to be a comedian, then they should take ASAP's comedy bootcamp. Um, mm-hmm. That's what ASAP is all about, giving you the skills and instruction to become an actual stand-up comic. Uh, they have other courses as well, but that's what I took was their comedy bootcamp. If you're just wanting to use humor and you're wanting to just be, have a funny dinner story, you know, dinner party story, and you just want to strengthen your mind and have a more humorous outlook on things, then I would say when things happen, you ask yourself, what is hard 
weird, scary, or stupid about this situation and start thinking through it. Like if you're driving and little Prius cuts you off, you can be like mad and you can be angry and scream or flip them off or whatever. Right. Or you can be like, oh, look, there's a smart car. She's driving, she's, you know, driving a smart car. She's on her smartphone, drinking her smart water, and she still drives like she's stupid. Um, you know, you can reframe. And I, what I tell <laughs> veterans is you get to choose your thoughts just the same way you choose the clothes that you picked out to wear today. What you have control over those thoughts. And um, it's, a, it's a daily choice. And that's when we start to get in trouble is we start letting those negative thoughts continue to to like push down the positive thoughts. And so that's where humor comes in to a real benefit is that you get to see things. And I, I have a joke that I do. I'm sure you've seen it online about going to Disney with my family. Yeah. And it, this is a true story. I mean, my husband ticked me off so bad. I was about to like divorce him. Like I was pissed right you can right, right. leave it out um and but i had to think well what is funny about this what is hard about this or weird or scary or stupid and he would in the in the joke like he's complaining so we're at disney i have been looking forward to this trip for since before covid because we had we we're supposed to go and then covid happened and it got canceled and i had never taken our kids to disney and they were finally old enough to go and not you know be able to walk and everything and not having to be like you know, pushed around in strollers. So I was super excited about it. And he's like, are we seriously going to wait two hours for a five minute ride? I wanted to kill him. Right. I was like, are you kidding me right now? It's Disney. And so then I um, made up a joke about it to kind of help cope with those angry feelings about where um, I respond back to my husband and say, really five minutes, like you're stressed about five minutes. Like we've been married for 20 years and all I ever get are five minute rides. (laughs) <laughs> um, and that's just how I in my head was able to yeah calm down and not be as angry with him that was a great delivery too I did see that clip <laughs> on YouTube you. you had a you had a good funny response to or, or a positive response to for that joke that was that was clever so, yeah he um, gets he gets my he gets my Puerto Rican fiery side <laughs> I don't go to I don't go to bed madly I stay up and fight do you? Oh my goodness! Do you do you use your family for a lot of your content? I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people think because I'm a veteran that I do all military jokes and that I'm talking about military stuff. And then in the industry, they kind of like put put you in a box and label you like veteran comedian, and that all my stuff isn't be about the military. That's not true at all. It depends on my audience and where I'm at, but. When I do my tours with Southern Mama Tour, Glenn Gr- I usually only have one joke that's military. The right. rest, unless I'm in a military town. If I'm in like, you know, right outside of Fort Campbell or Fort Bragg, maybe I'm going to put more in there. But I mean, by and large, my comedy is universal. Considering how the world is, and it seems to me, at least like America anyway, when we have some sort of external villain for lack of a better word, we normally come together. So if you had to perform stand-up comedy for an audience of aliens, and I don't mean like from different countries, I mean aliens from a different planet, what kind of jokes would you tell to ensure that they don't invade the earth? Oh, wow. You put a lot of thought into this joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. 
that going on. Okay. Um, I like to win my audience over at the beginning with a little bit of self-deprecation. Um, mm-hmm. I like to make fun of myself. So I would make fun of humans, of, of earthlings. Mm-hmm. I would mock and make fun of all the crazy things that must seem absurd to them that we do. Right. To the point where they find us endearing and likable and and make it so that it's funny and they can have an appreciation for it. Nice. So that's how you went over a crowd. I love it. And yeah, here's you one. Know, yeah, ahead. usually making fun of yourself up front and and getting them to like be likable is your first your first challenge. Once they like you, then it's yours to lose. Mm-hmm. So you got to come out the gate strong. And that's normally you need to get a, I like to get a laugh within the first 20 seconds, 20 to 30 seconds. And then I normally open with a hard hitting, like a, a solid, like a joke I know that always works. Right. And then I like to poke fun at myself um, because then they start to cheer for you and like want, want to vote, like be on your side. Got it. Are you familiar with the movie Freaky Friday? Yes. If you could switch with any famous comedian for a day, who would it be and what would be the first hilarious thing you would do in their shoes? And this is the last of questions like this. Okay. I know. Um, it has to be a comedian, huh? Okay. A uh, comedian. So I don't know if she considers herself a comedian or an actress. She's a funny actress. Um, I love, and I know she's all the rage right now. So this probably seems really trendy, but I've always liked her. I've always been a fan um, of just her work, which is Melissa McCarthy. Okay. Um, she plays, she plays Ursula, the new Disney movie. Um, she's been in bridesmaids and other things. I think she's so funny and witty and just, she just seems like she's a nice person. Um, I, also like the character of the marvelous Miss Maisel. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's a fictional character and played by an actress and not an actual stand-up comedian. Um, those are all women. I don't think it would be bad to do a body swap with a man. Although I don't think I would know what to do as a man. Like I, that would be a that would be a hard um, <laughs> adjustment. <laughs> I have to pee standing up. What? Uh, <laughs> Maybe that'd be your first thing you do. Because <laughs> uh, if that was the case, I would probably say like Dave Chappelle. Mm. Only because I'd want to be like a sexy black man. <laughs> 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 we want to be one, have some swagger. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank I appreciate you uh, dealing with me in those questions. And I asked you a, a, a lot of questions, not really a lot, but I appreciate you being open. But is there anything else uh, you would like to share or discuss that we haven't touched on and any anecdotes or insights or message you'd like to to convey with the listeners? I just want people to come out and support us and see us, um, you know, follow us on our social media, which, um, of course, I'm at Robin Phoenix Johnson on Instagram, comedian Robin Johnson on Facebook uh, because that's how we get picked up by bookers. Um, the more followers and engagement we have, the more they'll book us. And that's how we run our business and do things. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, Best Medicine Brigade and Hilarious 
And if they want more information, uh, there's two websites, bestmedicinebrigade.com and healareas.org. Like I said, one's a for-profit, one's a nonprofit. But yeah, I just want people to know that these resources, we do a lot of Healarious workshops uh, for no cost. So every month I do some virtually. So if people want to take a workshop, they can. And it doesn't cost anything for veterans or first responders. It's only like five or ten dollars for non for civilians. So I'm I know I'm looking forward to seeing you in Vegas. Oh, you're coming to the Mick to the thing. I'm coming to the Mick. Yes, yes. So I'm looking forward to that show that night. And is that going to be the finale where you get you choose who who's the how how does the format work? Yeah, we have two finales. Yeah, so there's two seasons. Season one is ending. Um, it is ending in San Antonio this Friday, and then there's season two and season two finales in Las Vegas. Season one finales in Hollywood. So there'll be five comedians compete for the title of season two winner. So yeah, nice. it's going to be really fun. I mean, these these comedians, man, the competition is fierce. I mean, so good. I don't know how we're going to decide. I mean, it's going to be tough. <laughs> it's going to be a close. Because they're coming to win. They're bringing their A games. Good, good. I'm I'm anxious and looking forward to it. We we still have auditions open for the Colleen Texas and season two Colleen Texas and Charleston South Carolina are still open if people want to compete they can be have to be a military spouse um, or a, a currently serving or a veteran there you go Colleen Texas your opportunity is is there so I better get this on on there uh, when when is that happening when is September the latest 5th, September fifteenth is when it's happening but the auditions close um like the, the end of July. Okay, I better get this one uh, processed and up there so that one person from Colleen who's going to be the next <laughs> best, right, <laughs> can hear it. But yes. thank you so thank you so much, Robin, uh, for coming on and joining us on Hindsight, the podcast. I always have a good time when I talk with veterans and when I talk with people in the military because there's so many shared experiences. There's so many, you know, whenever you meet a military person, it's easy to have a conversation, right? It's just It's just natural. But I really appreciate your your perspective and you. your uh, you know advocacy for humor and comedy. And I'm gonna look both of those up because obviously I'm still not using them correctly <laughs> in comedy and humor in the right context. Um, no, at least you're using yeah, it. Yeah, I'm using it. So um, your dedication to improving the lives of individuals, organizations, and communities through the power of humor and comedy is remarkable. And I am grateful for the work that you do as president of Heal Larius and your commitment to supporting veterans uh, through comedy. And just thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And good luck and have a great tour. Uh, it, um, it sounds like it's going very well now, but continued success. And I'm really looking. Um, I'll be following your story. So I'm really looking to see how this grows your 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 journey, your mission right now, your second act. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay updated on future episodes packed with inspiring stories. Before you go, leave me a message with your thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future topics. And if you're loving what you hear, please take a moment to rate this episode Your feedback helps me to grow and reach more listeners 
just like you. So remember, life's a journey. Stay tuned, stay curious, and keep gaining wisdom through the power of hindsight. Until next time. Oh, and don't forget, subscribe, leave a message, and rate this episode. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020 and high.